And good morning. This is the Tech Travel Geeks podcast, recorded on the morning of the 25th of August, 2018. This is the first morning episode we're doing, and I'm here with Lukash. Good morning, Lukash. Did you manage to get out of bed? <laughs> yeah, I'm not an, a very early person, so Saturday morning, I'm, I'm here bright and early and happy to join. Good. And are you buzzing? Oh yeah, it's it's just been a, the announcement of the latest DJI drones, which I'm super excited about, and um, I've been thinking about if or which one uh, to get. So there's two new drones: Mavic 2 Pro and Mavic 2 Zoom. But we can talk about that later. Excellent. Okay, we I think we can stop droning on about drones and introduce our awesome guest for this week. We have a guest from Japan. Laura, thanks for joining us. That means good morning. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Thanks for joining us on the Take Travel Geeks podcast, relatively late on a, on a Saturday afternoon or early evening. So, Laura, uh, tell us about yourself. Who are you? Where are you from? What are you doing in Japan? <laughs> Other than talking to you guys? Um, so, uh, I'm American. Um, but I am in Japan at the moment working for Philip Morris International on their art reducers product business um, with ICOS, um, helping them get into social. Um, I've been living abroad for about two years, uh, this past year in Japan and then the previous year in Switzerland. Um, and then before that, I was based in the U.S., running, working for a tech company, doing global online communities, and which is where you and me and Matteo met. Nah, met. <laughs> <laughs> My English is uh, challenged lately, so apologies. Not that I'm fluent in any other language, but I'm good at ordering beer in five languages. So, excellent. That's <laughs> that's one of the most important things that I think that most of our guests have said. They their language skills have to be enough to order beer, food, and that's good enough. Luckily, my first sentence in Japanese was ordering two beers, not just one. So I am generous. That's a very social way of approaching languages. <laughs> I would like to say it was on purpose, but no, it was just, you know, I was with a friend at a bar and spit out, Futatsu Biru Onigashimasu. And I was, oh my God, oh my God, what is that? And lo and behold, a gift of two great golden glasses showed up. It was wonderful. Excellent. I can still, still count to 10. That's that's the limit of my Japanese. I, I, I did uh, karate when I was a kid. Mm. Uh, and I still remember uh, counting to 10. That's all I can do though. <laughs> I'm actually very weak on the numbers. Um, but I'm great at things like um, taxi directions, which are super, super beneficial. Um, and then random business words. And they've got a really fun conjugations, which is like my favorite one is at the end, like um, to, to drink is nomimas. But then let's drink or let's go drink is nomimasho, which is let's drink. So, so it's great. So I'll just add show to like the end of like almost any word, which, you know, my team delightfully enjoys. That's great. So you're, you're working on social in Japan. Mm -hmm. How different is that from the US or the global markets you've worked in previously? Well, I don't, I not only work in social in Japan, I also work on social for a tobacco company, um, which means that it is so restricted. So basically in um, any country outside of the US and the UK, um, social, the adoption of social media into normal business practices is actually very slow. Um, so in Japan, especially, um, the, the things that I'm working on is, um, basically selling in very basics as far as the value of social, um, you know, for two reasons. One, the country of Japan is oddly very advanced technologically in a lot of ways and very analog in so many other ways. Like I have not had so much manual paperwork before in my life, probably. So, um, that's part of it. And also, um, when we go into just kind of consumer behavior in Japan, a lot of people, there's it's more of like an anonymous conservative society, whereas people are more into like one-to-one -one like texting, which is why Line, the messaging app is, people call it a social app, but it's not, it's just like WhatsApp, you know, it's a messaging service um, where people, where brands can do push, push messaging, but it's all about that one-to-one -one connection. So, um, you know, things like American channel, American built social networks like Facebook, um, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram are actually a slow adoption, but they're growing. Um, and it's also just different behavior as far as 
how people use it than other places in the world, which is very fascinating from like a social perspective. Because at one time while I'm, while I'm back to basics of working on social from like 10 years ago, another part is like, okay, okay, we got to switch this a little bit. That's really interesting. Uh, just a little, little bit of context for our listeners. Line is the most popular messaging service in Japan. It's the equivalent of we, the WeChat of Japan, and it predates many of the other uh, messaging services. It was the, also the first messaging service to introduce the concept of stickers. This was a really big thing, which other apps have taken on and are doing very well with. But Line really made this and was also monetizing them, which is very, very interesting, uh, both yeah. on iOS, Android, and Symbian. And basically, Line, I think there's like 98% of the adult population in Japan has Line. Mm. Maybe that's not as high, but let's let's roll with it for now. Um, and basically, with the ability to do e-commerce or not, no monetization, like you can do payments through Line, pretty much in any business. Also, um, coupons. Coupons are huge here, and the stickers. Like I've, I think I've downloaded so many different um, sticker packs from different brands. Um, it's it's a very remarkable platform for businesses. Um, so actually my company is online, just like Coca-Cola, just like everywhere else. Every single business that you go into has like a QR code. I've never seen QR codes used so much in my life um, because it's built into line platforms so that you can use it. It's, it's very fascinating. Yes, it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing to see. And once you have it set up and you've got, got your mind around it, traveling to places like China and Japan, understanding this uh, makes your travel so much easier. Plus, um, sorry to totally interrupt there. Another reason why Line is so popular in Japan is it's that anonymity, right? So basically it is not dependent on like WhatsApp where it's tied to your cell phone or Facebook where it's tied to like your actual name. Um, that's also why, you know, going to the social networks that we know from the majority parts of the world, why um, Twitter actually has, is the fastest growing, I guess, US-based social network in Japan because people can be more anonymous and have multiple accounts and da, da, da. So just just as uh, there are calls for Twitter to be less anonymous, uh, it seems to be a, a selling point for their growth in Japan. That's Definitely. very interesting. And uh, you and I are Sky Team siblings, aren't we? Yes, we are. <laughs> Let's get into that. Uh, yes. So you, you, you mentioned you, you lived in in switzerland for a while recently and before moving to japan and then you moved here from, from moved to europe from the us so tell us about that you you've moved around a lot recently and you've moved your you, your little princess yeah where is she right now yes um me and my cat are on our third country in the past mm, two years mm, three whatever lifetime <laughs> which is something that um it's remarkable and a great opportunity. Um, back when I was at HTC, I managed a global community and had the very luxurious job and opportunity to travel the world to meet people. Like, so that's, we'll get into that I'm sure more later. Um, but that's my motivation for travel and everything that I do is who I can meet there and how I can experience the country through the culture of, you know, the actual people who live there, locals. Um, so I always wanted to work abroad then this opportunity came to basically move across the world. And of course, you know, me and my little lady, meaning my cat, by the way, um, <laughs> let's, let's specify who she is. Um, <laughs> we both, you know, moved from Seattle to Switzerland. And then when I was in Switzerland, less than a year, I got um, approached by the opportunity to come to Japan, which is our leading market in the company with ICOS, and basically build up social because this was the first um, market for ICOS that actually had a presence on social media beyond care. So they were like, we have no idea what we're doing. Can you help? I'm like, oh, totally. And would you like to, you know, not just come for work, but live? I'm like, wait, what? Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a very, very marvelous opportunity that I'm, you know, it's challenging personally, professionally, and all of that. It's very lonely. Um, you know, I have to, it's learning the new cultures, being on all that stuff, and especially here in Japan where it's a very different culture, but it's exciting. And I've been fortunate to meet a lot of great people and also have my cat come with me. <laughs> But you were starting to ask me about Sky Team. So yes, um, one of the things I'm most passionate about and super nerdy about is definitely my um, air allegiance, um, which is actually kind of interesting because in the role that I'm in now with the company that I'm in now, it's a very much a global role. 
especially when I was based in Switzerland. So like all of my, there were many, many conversations about what's your allegiance, what's your airline preference, blah, blah, blah. and I just try to like bury it a little bit because of course I'm, you know, I'm a Sky Team allegiance in a world of um, Star Alliance with Lufthansa and whatever. So, you know, I've had to defend that quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. And so that that comes from you being based in the US and using Delta a lot, but also then traveling to Switzerland and then from Switzerland to Japan. Um, yeah, and sorry, go ahead. We, we've narrowly missed each other in Amsterdam <laughs> quite a few times. <laughs> I know, it took me for, I can't believe I actually found the Stay Cheese uh, sign though. It took me a while. <laughs> yes, for, for, for a bit more context, uh, I once or twice took selfies in front of one of the cheese shops at Amsterdam uh, Schiphol, and it just had this LED sign behind it saying, say cheese. So I tweeted that I was amazed there weren't more selfies uh, being taken in front of this sign and shop. And obviously the, one of the first people to react on Twitter and Instagram was the queen of selfies herself, Laura Kimball, or Laura Ho Howe. Is that Howe. correct? How? excellent. Howe. So you you are now the, the the selfie queen. You have been for quite a while, and it is it's an art form which you, I would say, uh, are leading in Japan, despite Japan what? being one of the leading places of selfies. Not really. It's the leading place of selfie sticks, but not of selfies. Oh, okay. Explain explain that a bit more. Consumer behavior means such as um, most people in. Asia, especially Japan, they'll take more photos of your food. So in Asia, your camera eats before you do. Um, selfies, actually, I think selfies and selfie sticks, oh, not as big in Japan, actually. Um, Japan is very like anonymity, like conservative sort of thing. But like, like if you check out most people, a lot of people's Instagram feeds who are, you know, local Japanese or whatever, it's food and it's close-ups of food. There's actually, oh, I forgot what the app is. I'll have to find that. You'd love this. It's actually like a food filter app. Like, <laughs> wow. Yeah. So it's just, it's actually, yeah, people don't do too many selfies here, which is interesting when I was trying to work with influencers and, you know, I want like, you know, because it's a product that you kind of use and consume. So like, want people's faces, not just a beautiful food porn, right? Like this is a, not a camera company anyway yeah it's very interesting no that, that's very interesting sorry I, I must have made made the mortal mistake of confusing certain asian markets i know that i would have as well so only because i live here do i know sort of <laughs> sorry I, I, I was recently in china and saw multiple accidents of people getting hit over the head by selfie sticks in a crowd situation and let me clarify that um, selfie sticks may emerge when um, people travel um, outside of Japan, but at least local every day. It's, it's not as constant. Interesting. Um, that's for good. Do you have a selfie stick? I do, but I keep forgetting I have it. Okay, so it's in your bag, but you don't use it that much. It's in my closet. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> so you're a closet selfie stick user. Yeah, it's one. yeah. Very good. And have you ever used a drone to take a selfie? I'm going to give this one to Lukash. No, but I have been in, I've not been in a drone selfie, but I've been in like 360 selfie stick selfies. Ooh, okay. Is that a 360 camera on a selfie stick? Yes. Oh, wow. And is, where, where, where do you share that sort of selfie? Facebook. Very good. Yes, it's, Facebook is one of the few platforms that can natively support 360 pictures and video. Um, yes. I play around with Insta360 products, and they're, they're great fun. Yes, drones are quite good for selfies uh, or group selfies. Um, I was at the Stag Do uh, last week, and we had a huge group selfie, like 15 people. Uh, and yeah, that was quite 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 a fun experience, especially that the, um, my company and uh, some of them were quite enthusiastic, let's say, uh, at that point. Um, so yeah, they were running around and, and having fun with that. Um, almost close to trying to grab it, uh, grab the drone um, by their hands, which which might be a bit dangerous. Um, but yeah, no one got hurt, luckily. So yeah. That's that good kind of, wow, that kind of enthusiasm. 
Got it. Yeah. <laughs> so um, let's say th this wasn't directly related to, but potentially uh, correlated to alcohol consumption. Uh, stag do's in Scotland involve a lot of that. Yeah, that was my that was my round way of saying. Uh, <laughs> so, Lukash, you actually made it back. You missed the podcast last week because you were stranded somewhere near Stirling. What was the travel back from, from up north like? Well, uh, so um, the story was um, I talk, I arranged uh, the return from the Stagdo with my friend. Uh, what time are you coming back? Oh, midday. I'll be back in the late afternoon. I'm, I'm like, oh, great. I'll be back for the podcast. And then... Um, 10 hours later, I found out that they were talking about Monday midday, not Sunday midday. Uh, so I had to arrange alternative transportation. So the three of us were uh, stuck in the back of a car. And uh, I'm not a big guy, but the other guys were, were bigger. So um, it was a funny experience. Um, and luckily, the second uh, leg of the journey from Stirling to Edinburgh, the first one was from Inverness, uh, if uh, for our um, listeners outside of Scotland, it's like um, six hours journey from Inverness to Edinburgh. Ah. Or that was an hour hour from Inverness. Um, so yeah, it was a fun, fun journey. Very good. Well, we're glad to have you back. Uh, there were worries at one point that you'd be stranded somewhere near Stirling, uh, but you made it back. So that's all, all good. All good, yeah. Right, since we've spoken about travel disruption, Laura, have you had any horror stories recently during travels due to strikes, weather? Oh, luckily, no. But is that because you fly Sky Team and they look after you? Of course. I also am very careful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also very careful with like kind of my um, travel itinerary and routes. Um, so I tend to, it's funny, I was looking through kind of what my flight path has been in the past and I'm um, based on my learnings, like if I ever go international, my, always my plan is like, um, as few connections as possible and always get on the long haul as soon as I can, um, and whatnot. So that's, what's been marvelous about being based in Tokyo and that my family's in Seattle, cause then I can get a direct flight back on Delta, which is fantastic, um, between Tokyo and Seattle. So that's been wonderful. Whenever I fly from Tokyo back to um, my HQ, which is in Switzerland, um, in Luzon, which is outside of Geneva, I usually do Tokyo, since the Sky Team, Tokyo to Paris or Amsterdam, and then it's just a quick hopper into um, Geneva. So, and I also try to, I mean, those flights are also super reliable, which is good. Um, so there's not too many delays. Um, Luckily, like knock on one on that one. Yeah, so I haven't done too much. I mean, the other delay is when I've been traveling in uh, Japan, it's usually trains with their Shinkansens, which the beauty about Japan is Japan really has an amazing infrastructure if we get, you know, on the ground. Um, the train system, so Japan as a country was very close for a number of years with, you know, the, the Edo time period. And then when they opened up through the Meiji um, M Emperor back in the beginning of the 1900s, and he's the one who started to carefully start to bring in industrialization. So when they got trains, like trains just spread everywhere to the point that it's just, I mean, my God, it's fascinating. Uh, one of my best friends came and visited me back in um, April during Golden Week, and he just was like, it's one of those people that he, you know, builds place cities and skylines a lot. So he was just like fascinated by like the Metro thing, you know, how the Metro paths are and just like looking at the maps and da, 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 you know, how there's some certain trains that come in others that go up and you're actually literally walking around and like also the train system, the Metro system, we'll talk about Shinkansen in, in a little bit, but the Metro system, if they're even delayed by like half a minute or whatever, like the um, conductor will come through and like apologize to every single one of the passengers, which is outrageous. Like, I mean, Matteo, you're Italian. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, it's one of those things that like, you know, I use luckily Google apps to help me plan my Metro paths and I'm starting to learn, but for the most part, you do not need to know like at least the local um, Metro schedule because they're always on time and they're always predictable. Um, and then when you go outside of the city um, on the bullet train, which is the Shinkansen, I mean, my God, that is just so sophisticated in that system and it's in the pathways and even like, 
So just the the in the structure themselves is fascinating. Um, but then also the um, Japanese hospitality is incredible. So even the conductors like this is a part where it's very like old school analog. Like um, you know you've got the conductors and you know their hats and like when the um, train cars come up just in the metro, you know they'll be like standing out and like pointing around to make sure that it's all clear. And there's just this ritual and like every one of the actions that's incredible. And um, I was in. Shizuoka Prefecture, which is about um, two, an hour and a half, two hours by Shinkansen south from here. And so um, the Izu Peninsula is, we were going to the Izu Peninsula, which is like a beach. So then, you know, we took the Shinkansen, then we had to take a local train, um, which was like the metro essentially, to go catch the ferry. And so when we were there, we actually could see the conductor booth and the way that like the conductor was like driving, not driving the train, the train was driving, but he was like, you know, pointing and looking at the time, looking at his watch and pointing to like, make sure like, it was just very like ritualistic and it was fascinating. Like just to watch that as like this thing is moving. And it's like, do you even need that? But yeah, you kind of need that. It made me feel comfortable. And I don't know, it's just the transportation here is incredible on the trains. Yeah, it is. taxis are also wonderful. The, the taxis. Yeah. Oh, have you guys been to Japan? I, I'm as I said, I'm planning next year, but I I haven't been uh, any any time recently. So taxis are, are interesting. Do you order them via an app, or are they just you hail them in the street? You hail them in the street. They do have an app called like My Taxi, so you can schedule or pay someone to Uber, um, but you don't need to, especially if you live in hmm, the city center. I was like, do you need one for outside? But in the country, not so much. Because so basically, taxis are everywhere. And they are, um, you know, usually look like old school Toyotas. And the benefit of the really, really cool thing is that you don't have to open the doors. Wow. Meaning, yeah, like here, here, here rolls up, rolls up, you know, it looks like an early 90s Toyota, right? And then um, you can only enter in one side of the, you know, so the left side because they drive on the right side. But then they have a lever that automatically opens the door. So it's mechanical, but it's, you don't have to touch doors, which really change, challenges your brain when you go to other places, <laughs> you have to touch that door. But anyway, um, the benefit about taxis is um, basically, they're super reliable, they're everywhere. Um, the They all, all take credit cards, which, you know, there's, if you go to like some bars or restaurants, it's cash, but ca taxis are always credit cards. Um, the taxi drivers, they pretty much know everywhere where they're going. So you just show them your phone with your Google Maps and a little bit of language, you know, to just, oh, so, 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 where do we go? Okay, okay, you know, and then you go, right? But it's just wonderful, super reliable. Some of them have mobile pay systems as well. Um, so it's this weird, like, old technology as far as, like, the actual old vehicle, because it is, like, um, an early 90s Toyota almost, but that has been new. And what's interesting, too, if we talk about technology of taxis, so with the 2020 Olympics coming to Tokyo, the entire city is preparing for that, um, which is really great to see, like from, you know, um, restaurants and different rules and stuff like that, even down to the taxis. So um, Japanese um, people are shorter than normal. So I am five foot seven. I'm a giant. It's crazy and weird. I'm of average height, sort of. In the rest of the parts of the world, I'm, a, I'm miniature when it comes to, you know, northern Europe and, you know, Amsterdam, for example. Um, <laughs> but here I'm tall. Basically, the majority of the population of the world, global population, is taller than Japanese. So um, Toyota has actually created a new taxi just for the 2020 Olympics. So it's actually um, modeled after the black cabs in London, and it's the model name is actually called Japan Taxi. So it's, you know, taller rooms <laughs> so that when people visit, they can be more comfortable. That's awesome. And <laughs> I take it these are extremely fuel-efficient or electric taxis. I have not looked into the tech, the actual like building of it, but maybe. That that sounds great. Um, very 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 good of of the city of Tokyo and Japan to accommodate people because obviously as as we know, uh, if you have a good experience visiting during the Olympics, you're more likely to tell people about how awesome it was and maybe even visit yourself again. Mm -hmm. It's really cool what the whole country is doing. Awesome. Uh, traveling around the world recently, I found Uber to be the best thing ever because I only had one app uh, to, to use everywhere and not to have to worry. Uh, is Uber available in Japan? It is, but it's twice as expensive and you only get super fancy black cars. Mm -hmm. So honestly, it's not worth it. 
but I, but I do have colleagues who, when they travel, they use Uber. Um, cause of course, you know, if you are new, you don't know mm-hmm. that the regular taxes are super reliable and whatnot. Fair enough. Yeah. The biggest benefit to Uber, I think is that you don't have to speak any language at all. You don't have to pay. You don't have to tell where you're going, uh, what you're doing, anything at all, unless you want to, and then you have, a, can have a great conversation, but, um, that's that's one of the biggest benefits so yeah it's interesting to know oh i agree when i was doing a ton of travel with htc which was normally you know one city one night do an event travel the next day drop in da, 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 that right oh my god like i didn't even know half the time where i was staying so it was very nice to just to actually learn that in paris because i was it the first time i was in paris maybe yeah, I think so. Um, I had taken the train from London um, to Paris and I dropped in and then took, you know, a taxi to the hotel. And my God, I've never been so scared in my life. When I was in India, like riding around, I, you know, if the traffic that, you know, operates like an orchestra, <laughs> I felt safer there than I did in Paris with this cabbie. Like, oh my God. And then somehow I was like, oh yeah, I wonder if they have Uber. And then ever since then, I was like, without a doubt, like, that's just scary. Understandable. <laughs> So you've mentioned taxis are great, and we we briefly touched on the Shinkaza. Have you been on the Hello Kitty Shinkaza? No. No. And I'm disappointed that I don't know about this. So this is something that's been going around around the place Lukash and I work in, uh, in, in Slack. It's been a very popular subject of discussion. And our colleague Jen is planning, is one of the reasons she's going to Japan in September, is purely to ride on the Hello Kitty Shinkaza. So it's a Shinkaza themed to Hello Kitty, both in the interior and the exterior. Um, it looks amazing. Okay, I've got to figure that one out because actually tomorrow my um, sister and her family come to visit, which is exciting from Seattle. And she's got my nephews are five and seven, obsessed with trains. Yeah, so let's see if we can find that. They also love Hello Kitty. (laughs) Hello Kitty is an international thing. Yes. Uh, Let me see. I've got an image here. I will share it and put it in the blog post. So yes, so your family are coming over with children. With children, so speaking of transportation, me as auntie is amazing. So I got us uh, tickets to go to the Studio Ghibli Museum, so the Miyazaki mm. films, um, wow. which the boys are obsessed with. Um, but then a friend of mine said, you can actually ride on the Kappas. I'm like, oh my God, that's exciting. Okay, Kappas, speaking of transportation. But I thought that meant a real bus, but it might just be like the Kappas in the museum. So, you know, I do not have children, so I do not realize that, mm, you know, you must have plans set up before you mention them to children. So I mentioned that and my sister was like, don't you dare, you better make that happen. And I was like, oh God, okay. <laughs> so I got to figure out exactly about, is this the real cat bus and what does this look like? So we can ride the cat bus. Very good. <laughs> and how, how did you, your family go around planning the trip? Uh, did they take a long time to do it? Uh, did they do it straight with a travel agency or an airline? Yes, it's called the um, Lamarai service, which means that... (laughs) (laughs) Just a bit of context. Lamarai is uh, Laura's nickname now that she's in Japan. So it's Lamiki or Lamiki and Samurai. Mm -hmm. Lamarai is the travel agency. Excellent. (laughs) Yeah, so I, you know, travel the world for work and pleasure. um, And have a mass amount of air miles. So that is how that happened. And um, which was our plan. Last year when we thought that I was going to be in Switzerland, it was going to be okay, come, you know, come visit and I'll use air miles. So that's how it happened. And then we've done a little bit of back and forth of these are certain things I want to do. Um, can you help me? Because Japan is, um, you know, like I said, it's very technologically advanced, but analog as well. It's really hard to kind of like really understand what you can and can't do with the language barrier. There's a lot of things that literally you have to pick up the phone and make reservations, which are extremely hard. Because while the majority of the population, or when people in Japan learn English, they learn it by writing first and then speaking. But also um, everybody is very much like perfectionist. Like they, even my team that I work with, who I speak about, um, who I speak in English every day, I think that they're fluent. They're like, no, I'm not. I'm like, okay. Well, I'm definitely not fluent in, J- in Japanese, but okay. So anyway, it's really hard to navigate sometimes. So whenever my friend's family come visit, it's okay, we want to do this, da, 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 and then I'll do some of the research. So I'm kind of the travel agents in a way. 
that's awesome. So local knowledge from an expat in this in the place is perfect because you know what's interesting. Uh, it looks as if you've tested a lot of local bars, uh, festivals, and and events by by your 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 Instagram feed. Yeah, I, I always look at my Instagram feed and I'm like, wow, there's a lot of dark stuff because I, you know, life happens at night. <laughs> True. And what's your preferred beer in Japan? Namabiru, which is on tap, whatever's on tap. So um, I did, so speaking of technology or whatever, um, baseball games in Japan are fascinating because they've got, you know, cultural rituals there. My favorite thing about baseball games is the beer girls. Beer garus is what they're called, or at least I call them that. I don't know if that's real. It's basically girls who work for Sapporo, Kirin, um, Asahi, whatever. They have their cute little outfit, baseball hat, and a pony cake on their backpack. So it's not so if you order beer, you know, in the stand, a girl runs up the stairs and pours you fresh tap beer. So when I was there, I actually did a tasting. I was like, okay, what do I prefer? Um, and I actually think I do Kirin or Sapporo the most. Um, most people, their fans are Asahi, but whenever I go to restaurants, basically, Namabiru is what I order. Related to beer, um, and so there's this um, culture in Japan called the salary worker. So it's um, kind of a, you know, anybody who works in an office, usually you have a uniform, which is, you know, your white button down shirt, navy blazer pants, right? And you, everybody like it's routine. You go to work in the office in the same single file line outside of the metro, you know, between like nine and 10 a.m. You work, 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 work. If you're lucky to leave the office at a decent time of like seven or 8 p.m. Um, or after your boss leaves, then you go to an izakaya, which is a grilled meat place and bar where you can um, smoke indoors and drink, whatever. The first beer that you have, the first drink you have the night is a beer. And um, I actually learned what it's called, but of course I forgot. Um, and the whole part of that ritual is you drink it to cleanse your day away. Then when you're done, you can move into highballs or lemon sours or whatever you want. But it's just like, I kind of love that. It's like, okay, first drink of the night, beer. And then, yeah. That would sit great with me. Uh, Lukash, how about you? Drink-wise? Yes. <laughs> well, I, I'm not a beer, beer person personally. Um, as you know, I'm more of a cider. So I drink fruit ciders. I, I, I used to not drink almost at all. So fruit cider is like a, like lemonade with, with a bit of alcohol. So that's that's my, my preferred drink of the day. <laughs> Very good. And Laura, have you been partaking in sake whilst in Japan? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yes, I love sake um, for many reasons. Uh, it's delicious. <laughs> Usually it comes in a gigantic bottle, right? And then they just pour it for you. And there's this um, amazing way. I'm sure it's got a name for it. I don't know. That it comes in like this little glass, right? That looks like a mini pint glass and then a wooden box. And so they'll not just pour you in the glass. They'll overflow it. So you have extra. I love drinking and I love um, when you have more than you ask for right so um, a lovely lovely thing happened this past week when I was out with um, one of my good friends here in Japan so we were out you know eating drinking whatever and went dinner at one bar they went to another bar because I was like I really you know I don't know what I want to drink like because we were but then I was like okay let's have sake so we got to this this izakaya that was kind of closing which was fine and then you know we looked at the menu and um, what I love about being presented with menus in Japan is they're all in Japanese and I can't read Japanese. So it's always, it's become a little joke. Like, I don't know. Um, luckily she could. So that day um, I actually learned a new sentence. So the beauty, the beauty of Japanese language and then also is that it's actually a very fun language and there's very much rhyming. And a danger about it is that like certain words can mean other things. <laughs> my, my coffee mug almost spilled. Oh, oh. <laughs> We, we saved it. Apologies. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that was a good ding. Um, <laughs> anyway, so, so okay, so Jap Japanese language is very playful. And um, for me, I'm fortunate that in my office, you know, there's 90% of my colleagues are Japanese. So I can hear a lot. So I can hear like the, um, the accent or whatever. And, you know, I'm also a perfectionist where I don't want to say things. I don't want to come across and talk in Japanese with an American accent, right? So my colleague, my colleagues and friends were talking and they taught me this sentence, which was doki 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 doki, which is fun to say. It's like, it's tongue twister. Like try, try and say this. So it's toki, toki doki. Toki doki. Doki doki. Toki doki doki doki. Okay. You're, you're doing pretty good. Lucas. <laughs> toki doki doki doki. Okay. You guys are way better, but that's probably because you have European mouths, right? Um, me as, 
American. I'm like, like it's very much you talk in the front of your mouth or back, whatever. So anyway, mm -hmm. okay. Basically what that means is tokidoki is sometimes, and dokidoki is like your heart is fluttering, beating, right? Which dokidoki could mean I'm nervous, like, you know, big mean, oh my God. Or it can mean dokidoki, like, oh, hearts in the eyes, like, oh. <laughs> so that's, it's a fun sentence to go up to, you know, so my Japanese colleagues, I'm like, hey, tokidoki, dokidoki. And they're like, oh, hey, right? <laughs> so going back to drinking. So we showed up at the sake restaurant and here in the menu was um, a sake that was actually called doki doki and actually had a little heart. And I was like, oh my God, this is meant to be. This is doki doki day. So yeah, that was that was absolutely very lovely. And that was the photo I posted this week of me in a bottle. <laughs> that was massive. <laughs> Looked like a very good sake. It was. Um, the bottle was, yeah, it was delicious. And Mattel, I was about to say, I I think you would enjoy um, using the untapped app uh, in, while in Japan. I guess there's plenty of uh, new uh, drinks you could try there. Totally, totally. Actually, like, so I have friends who use untapped, especially for beer throughout Europe. It's actually really funny. I actually don't use too many apps. I was, <laughs> you know, which is hilarious. So this is a tech, tech travel, you know, conversation, whatever. Um, and part of that is like, or sorry, what the apps that I do use is to help me remember things. So untapped could be beneficial, but um, yeah, basically my whole relationship with apps and phones and technology is like, it helps me keep in contact with people. That's also, you know, has to do with what I do for a living, which is connecting people with businesses, brands, et cetera. Um, so kind of the, the one app that I do use and feel free to laugh as much as you'd like. Um, I actually use Swarm <laughs> a lot. <laughs> Um, and that's mainly because I have a hard time remembering where I'm going and that's not about related to the previous conversation. It's more of just like language and also going to so many new places and like especially in Japan because there is so much like the city is a maze because it's a vertical city meaning that there are restaurants in the basement upstairs you know in like on the eighth floor of whatever building and also it's in a language I don't know right or like you don't know where you're going or like I've got locals who are showing me where so it's like most of the time I'll like open up my phone and be like here like can you please put in where are we to help me remember you know that amazing gyoza place that's um the juicy gyoza factory that's in Shibuya that I don't know where it is okay what's it even called stuff like that it's super interesting very good Swarm is a great app um I've also used it to discover places whilst traveling um, for, for our listeners, uh, Swarm is the check-in app of Foursquare. Uh, essentially, it's a giant data acquisition uh, tool or crowd data acquisition tool for Foursquare. And it is, it is very interesting. And in a way, it helps serendipity. So if you, you might find out that you're in the same place as someone else. Uh, I believe I, not only Laura and I have missed each other at... Uh, at the Crown Lounge in, in Amsterdam, but also I think Andrew Martinik of Android Central and I have been just a few hours off. And had we known a bit, little bit more in advance, we could have met up. Uh, but it does help that sort of thing. And it, I think Swarm is also one of the best places for small local places that don't bother listing themselves. Users can add them. And that then makes it easier to find out information about the, the locations. For users who don't use Swarm, there's also Google Maps has its own contributor or local guides or local uh, or city experts uh, section where users can generate uh, content and check in and review. But Swarm Swarm is a good way to remember where you've been, and it also, in a way, prompts you to 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 go back to places if you're in the neighborhood. Have you ever found that, Laura? Yes, I have. It reminds me every day to check in at work or at Starbucks in my building. So it's super helpful too, um, but then it's also good. I was I do rely heavily on Google Maps, um, and I always forget that you can save places in Google Maps. Um, but it's very bad. I don't know. Life would be so much harder without Google Maps. <laughs> it is a fantastic service. Uh, apart from one one place, China. Mm, yeah, have not experienced that yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Google Google Maps practically everywhere else, even within airports, you have indoor maps of airports and help which help you to get from A to B in, in many locations. Speaking about a Google Map trick, right, and transportation, um, so I don't know, um, so, and Japan, um, train stations, uh, my God, especially when you get into places like Shibuya or Shinjuku, 
um, where thing they're outrageous because they've got um, you know eight different local lines, many different um, eight different local lines, plus sometimes the actual bullet trains that are coming in and they're massive, right? Um, um, the fir my first day of work here in Japan, um, I was like, okay, I'm in my apartment, I'm going to take the metro because I'm very, very fortunate to live in the city center and I'm two stops away from my office. Well, my office is in a very much a business district. Um, and I, you know, had never taken the train to the office previously when I came here just for business trips. Um, so I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. No problem. Whatever. Um, then I exit the metro and I um, could not find an exit sign. And this is a small, small-ish um, train station, right? It's not like Shibuya Shinjuku, where there's a lovely onion article about somebody who, you know, was trapped in there for 93 days, which is a real fear that I have when I go there to those places. But anyway, the place where my office is not as, as big, but still, um, I didn't see a sign that said exit. And I was like, ooh, yay. You know, and this isn't a language thing, because there was stuff, you know, there's always Japanese written with English as well. So I just kept walking. You know, and I was just following crowds. I was like, I don't know where to go. Um, I didn't realize that um, exit for metros is called gate, right? Which makes sense. You know, it's the, the gate to wherever. But there's places, and I did not realize that my office was at gate 7. So by the time I got to gate 13, I was like, I'm just going to go to the ground level and let's see. <laughs> so um, when you, somebody told me that a trick, if you're traveling in Japan, is that if you look on Google Maps and zoom in, you can actually see um, which gate it's at like based on you know they'll hop like a view of the train station or whatever and then gate and you know your little dotted lines or whatever so that's very helpful in making it so that i have not been trapped in shibuya or shinjuku station and yes every time i go through shibuya which for context shibuya well shinjuku is the biggest oh what did somebody say there's like seven million people who pass through the shinjuku station on in a day um it's chaos um and i go to shibuya a lot because it's close to my house and that's where my gym is Shibuya's also station is right across from the Shibuya intersection crossing, which is like the Shibuya scramble. It's the busiest intersection in the whole world. So if you can imagine uh, my fear, that is very real. <laughs> so every time that I do make it out of an exit that I mean to go to, I feel like an angel gets the wings. Yes, it's it's one of those marvels of humanity that they not only manage to do it, but do it consistently and yeah. uh, very in a very photogenic manner. Uh, photographers, videographers love those junctions and train stations. Mm, they're gorgeous. And it's so, I mean, if you just forget about like us, uh, especially living in the U.S., that is not a, you know, it's just car culture or airplanes or whatever. But like, you know, trains are like the, you know, industrial revolution. I'm like, how? I was like, is it the wheel that was the first? you know like first tool that changed society or whatever whatever okay the trains really helped connect like long distances quicker right post boats um so if you like every time that i go to the the station and i actually see the tracks you know and just realize that like how much of this this technology of the, what trains are and how they're sure there's improvements and enhancements with the bullet trains that she comes in but like the basic train themselves is just absolutely still incredible and it's just very interesting to see, like, you know, we are have smartphones, we've got smart watches, we've got the internet that connects us, we've got, you know, fast planes and whatever. But like when you look at trains, it's just like, I don't know, there's just something authentic about it. It's metal wheels on metal tracks. It's still a basic, reliable technology that we've perfected over centuries now. Uh, there you it, go. it is a great thing. I'm planning a long distance, uh, high speed train journey. In November in China, I'm going mm. from Shenzhen to Shanghai over the course of eight to twelve hours. Uh, so I get to see most of China very, very briefly through the window of a train. That that really it, it just excites me because I haven't been on a long train journey for well over a decade uh, since flight was cancelled and I had to get a train from London to Edinburgh. <laughs> yeah, and that's the part that going on the Shinkansen because I've done that too um, from uh, Tokyo to Hiroshima and then Tokyo to Kyoto, and then Tokyo to Shizuoka, and back, and okay, I've been on it a lot, and then Nagoya and Sendai. Um, but like, if you're on the platform, when a Shinkansen goes by, I mean, you can hear, whew, like it's, you can feel it, and then that's when I was like, oh God, these things go really fast. Or then there's like, um, if you take a photo, you know, cause you see Fuji and like the, you know, uh, air, the electric lines, you know, are like that. It's like, okay, that's, we're going really, really fast. <laughs> I'll also be experiencing a travel in uh, China, uh, train travel, uh, but I'll be during the night 
so I'll I'll have like a night night trip, so I won't see too much, unfortunately. Uh, but definitely Japan and trains top of my list. After China, I need to see that I've never been and very top of my travel list just now. It's so cool, it's so cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sadly, the U.S. Uh, is not completely not giving completely up on rail, but, uh, but nothing, uh, nothing exciting happening in that space at the moment. Hyper. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, Lukas and I sh should have a bet on if Hyperloop will happen in the U.K. before uh, it happens in the U.S. What do you oh, think? Oh, that's a... given the stuff that your country is going through. Well, in my country, I don't see it at all. Like, you know. But the whole stuff that's happening in the UK. Eh, well, um, infrastructure spending <laughs> is, is up in the UK. And we, we're already okay. building a second high-speed rail connection uh, between uh, Manchester and Newcastle, I believe. Lukash can correct me if I'm wrong. It's known as high-speed 2. And that will uh, hopefully make, make transportation better in the north of England. And eventually, the idea, the, the the proposal at the moment is to have hyperloop between Edinburgh and, and London, which would make it a station to station journey in just around forty five minutes, which is the dream. Thirty five years. That's crazy. Lunch break in London. Uh, that would be amazing. That, that changes literally changes lives. That changes commute. That that, that changes everything. So. Exciting. We'll see. Uh, we, we were at the, the Edinburgh University uh, Hyperloop 1 announcement of their, their testing in the US. Uh, so it's, 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 it's an exciting time. We'll see what happens there. I would say um, probably UK. I mean, in, my, in the Seattle area, they're investing in light rail. So a couple years back, they have a light rail train that goes from downtown Seattle to the airport which is like a half hour drive in good traffic, but traffic is just, the city of Seattle is just booming beyond control due to the, the um, tech insurgents. Um, and there's just literally no space. Like you can only go vertical um, and, you know, knock down old buildings and hopefully historic sites um, for the condos and whatever. And then um, I'm actually from the suburbs in the North. So, um, you know, it's been a very, very slow go to try and bring the light rail up North. Um, I think, 2021 and 22 is when like the suburb that I used to live at will finally have a light rail connecting to um, downtown Seattle. But that's been mm, like five plus years in the process and the whole like political acceptance. Like American culture was built on cars and interstates and not on public transportation, at least. Yeah. So it's, it's, yeah. um, I'd say UK. Let's go with UK. That's my bet. Okay. Thank you. Um, having said that, um, you, you mentioned Seattle. I, one of the things we noticed is a lot of the infrastructure, especially when it comes to freeways and highways, seems to be much more modern to, compared to other parts of the US, as in all intersections are built for uh, what they call it, carpooling or cars with more than one person in it. So you have separate exits on the left-hand side for carpool, which avoids congestion and crossing over lanes. So I, I quite enjoyed driving in the Seattle area because of that. Yeah, yeah. we also have um, actually, H, that, that's a number of US cities have this as well, like um, express lanes that are for the high capacity drivers that like based on commuting times will go one way or it'll reverse. Um, and that's in a number of US cities, but um, definitely in the US, um, which is really, really nice. And it, they even have on the east side, they started a toll lane, so they pay you know, it's free if you have, you know, three plus people to go in like the faster lane on the left. Or if you're alone, you could, um, you know, pay a certain amount based on traffic flows for it, which was very, you know, good in theory. Um, the implementation was, of course, shit, but then they've improved and whatever. But at the end of the day, it's still cars on the road. So they're trying to do things to experiment to change behavior, but it's really hard because, you know, life in the US is built around car culture, not about having alternatives. However, like the Ubers and Lyfts have really helped if you live in an area close to the city where it's you know cost effective and whatnot or if you just don't care <laughs> yes. well um candace and i are going to the us next month um for a road trip from san francisco up to crescent city one brewery per day oh you're gonna well i guess if you're car trip and you can't go more than that that's awesome the hotels were all within the same block as the breweries good good 
<laughs> so it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's responsible beer tourism. Yeah. And it's funny because I uh, very much, you know, was attached to my car when I lived in the States because we've had to. Um, I did public transportation when my office was, you know, in the city center, stuff like that. But of course, uh, two weeks ago, I was back in the States for summer break. And the first thing that I did was, you know, my mom handed me the keys to her car. And I'm like, yes, I can drive again. You know, and it's just so lovely and so free and liberating. I'm like, you know, like not having, not having when my home base is my home base or it is my parents' house. It's very much like being a teenager again without a curfew. And there's Bluetooth connection. And, you know, now that parents are empty nesters, they've got great cars. Lovely. So yeah, I very much do enjoy driving, um, and I do enjoy now that I'm not living there, having that appetite of being city center and close to other transportation, using taxis. So interesting. <laughs> very good. Okay, I think we can move on to what's in Laura's bag. <clears throat> you travel a lot, uh, both by air and train. What do you have in your bag? Uh, depends on the trip. Okay, so. Um, every day, right? So um, as far as work goes, I've got, you know, a backpack um, that has, you know, the work stuff. Um, one of the things that I have not gotten that, you know, it's got my basic work stuff, laptop, paper, notebook, whatever. Um, I have like three pairs of headphones because I'm now like a dual phone user. Um, so it depends on whatever's the attachment, blah, blah, blah. I have so many headphones. One of the things that I um, got into a great habit of when I was in HTC and traveling globally is always having battery pack and extra cords with me, which is absolutely hilarious because in the world that I work now, which is not mobile tech, most people don't have their phone chargers with them or a battery pack. <laughs> so you, Laura <laughs> so is their favorite travel buddy. Yeah, it's really funny <laughs> to me, but I guess I never knew what a battery pack was prior to you know being around you know, mobile phone geeks, right? And actually I was, my battery packs were gifts to me, right? So it's just hilarious. So I always have that with me, uh, especially when I'm just going around. When I travel internationally, um, I, pr I pretty much use the same stuff. Like um, my main technology is definitely my phones and the computer. Um, I haven't quite, I always have a paper book with me because I like to give my eyes a rest. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, I try to stay basic. Um, also, it, things are heavy, <laughs> but definitely it's one of those things I haven't been able to find like, you know, a backpack or a bag that's like my everyday everything bag um, for a while. So I definitely have like kind of my more like professional backpack and bag that I have when I'm just here um, locally. And then when I travel more, it's like a larger backpack. Um, but it's definitely since I change bags a lot, I very much rely on a bunch of little like pouches and zippers to like organize my cords or like, you know, have like my um lotions or whatever creams and stuff and certain things wallets it's actually i don't know probably something i need to figure out but it's just so bags are so annoying because you never know if it's going to be good until you use it and what bags i mean backpacks or shoulder bags or whatever not suitcases okay and you mentioned packing uh and having little bags are you a travel cube person or a roller or what, what's your methodology for packing clothes and things I'm a folder. You're a folder. Have you ever used packing cubes? No, but I know um, I've had colleagues in the past who are super fans of those. Yes, it's a, it's a, it's a. I'd say the marmite of packing. <laughs> Lukash, what what do you use? <laughs> I just fold. Yeah. Or as you did, you you traveled around the world with maybe two changes of clothes and all camera equipment well maybe a, a bit more than two but yeah uh i i had one huge huge uh, the biggest bag you can get on on uh as a carry-on uh and most of it was was tech um so yeah i i had to i had to optimize the clothing area let's say <laughs> <laughs> very good yes yeah. you, you, your polo shirt from droidcon dubai had to come back to the uk with me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's something with as much as I travel, um, I'm actually not a very mm, efficient packer, so to speak. Um, I have a very good habit of staying up super late, if not all night before a long haul flight, because that's when I decide to do things like pay bills, um, which is strange, but whatever. Um, <laughs> and then it's always, you know, what do I really need? What am I really going to wear? So I have it's, it's this very interesting process that usually takes a long time. Um, but then part of it, I think, is maybe that's just my pre-travel ritual. 
Um, yeah. So I don't, it's funny with the whole packing thing. Like I once tried to roll, like when a friend of mine told me that, but I really supposed to make your clothes less wrinkly. And I don't know, I must need to watch some more tutorials or have somebody show me because regardless of it, everything in my suitcase when it comes out looks like it's been in a suitcase. <laughs> I don't know who, washing it where or packing where, I don't, mm, strange. <laughs> it's it's a difficult challenge that many travelers have. So mm -hmm. okay, so you've got your, your all your things. What would you say your best trick for packing is? Oh god, okay. Um, because obviously, like, it takes me a long time to pack. Um, so it's the whole process of like what I've started doing is you know try a couple days before of just putting the clothes that I want to wear like in a different room on a different bed, whatever. And so that way it's like, you know, start big and then like slowly go down, right? Um, that's that's the biggest one is like, and then also be real about, you know, God, I don't know. For me, it's just, it's pre-planning. So it's just taking the time or actually, no, no, here's something that was really, really good. Um, for my last time that I went to Switzerland back in June, I had a friend who basically helped, helped supervise me as I was packing, which means, you know, he sat and drank hanging out with my cat because he was going to watch my cat <laughs> and talk me through it. <laughs> basically, I managed to pack in like an hour and a half, which was fantastic because of course I had somebody who was like there and, you know, we were going to go out for okonomiyaki and teppanyaki later. So it was like, I had motivation. <laughs> so that did help. So I think I need to exercise that more often. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So you, you, your packing is, is something that you, you oh, spend so time on. Yeah. How was it moving the, your, your cat uh, from the US to Switzerland and from Switzerland to Japan? That must That's be the question. most complicated uh, travel challenge. Oh my God, yeah. Um, as she's sleeping on the floor over there, like, meh, whatever. Um, yeah, so that was interesting. So um, luckily when I moved from um, the US to Switzerland, um, you know, as part of my reload benefits and, um, or not reload benefits, but just come come work for us benefits. So basically the company organized that through a pet travel agency, which thank God, because um, unlike Europeans who like, this is a normal thing and you know what to do, or you people like vets and stuff know what to do. Americans rarely move outside of America. So um, as far as figuring out the documentation, whatever, that was amazing. Like the people who do this without support or agent or some animal moving service, like, Oh my God, it's so super complicated. And even, even the stuff that we had to do under their direction was really hard. So um, for moving to Switzerland, I um, she stayed with my mom um, for about a month so that I could go find a apartment and get settled because I didn't want to have the whole her being in a hotel, would she get lost or whatever. Um, and just also trauma, right? <laughs> so that was a great experience. She flew United. Um, which, so she didn't get her air miles that round, which is fine. Um, so they did door-to-door -door pickup um, from Seattle to Newark, then like a massive layover. Allegedly, she got pets. I asked for photos. Nobody would give it, which is so confusing to me, but whatever. Um, and then from um, Newark directly to Geneva, where, you know, a service, you know, somebody helped bring her through customs and then delivered her to my door. So that was okay, minus my personal anxiety, right? Um, and the theory on there, so she went through checked luggage and, you know, I was trying to negotiate, okay, can I come pick her up, send my mom, blah, 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 blah. and they were like, animals very much can feel your anxiety. So if you're nervous, they're going to be nervous. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting. So the move to Switzerland was, you know, a process which was good. Um, then for moving to um, Tokyo, that was more effort because I had to manage that because with the company, I'm on a short-term assignment, not a permanent relocation. So um, while the company will help you move with your children, they won't with your pets, which is super strange. Um, that's okay though. Um, luckily I had someone in Japan who helped me, who helped me with kind of that paperwork, but I had to facilitate exporting her. Um, the part that sucks about Japan, as you guys are aware of with the UK is they're both island countries, so they've got quarantine rules. Um, the cool thing about Japan is that it is there, it's a six step process that is illustrated with photos. So that's nice cartoons, <laughs> but basically I had to do, you know, a, a certain process as far as getting her the shots. And then she had to, after she got the shots and the test that said no longer have rabies, she had to, there's a 180 day waiting period, which equals six months, <laughs> which basically if I, you know, which meant luckily, you know, bless my friend's heart. I had a lovely, lovely close friend who, um, was Minnie's cat keeper for six months, uh, the first six months that I was in Japan to wait for that. Because if 
that did not happen, then when I arrived, she would have to be in quarantine for six months, which my baby girl's never been in a pound. I did adopt her, but um, that would have killed her emotionally, right? Oh, so that was a long process. Um, but that's okay. She really enjoyed living with my friend. Um, they really like YouTube. She racked up so much money on his credit card bills. It was outrageous. So that's fine. She's still paying that off. Luckily, she can earn money in her sleep. Um, yeah. So <laughs> when the time came, 180 days, right? Um, you know, there was all sorts of paperwork that I had to do in Swiss to get her literally like stamped. Like she has a passport. It's crazy. Um, so then I decided her to, since I was facilitating this, I decided to hand carry her because um, I was also nervous about the time period, um, the length of the flight, because it was basically a 16 hour journey, which is similar to how she came from the US. But the quickest way to go from Europe to Asia is through a 12 hour flight that drops you in Paris or Amsterdam, so to speak. So um, I carried her with me and flew with her on the flight, which was insane, right? I. Um, do not have children and I try not to be like cat mama, but holy, when you carry somebody you care about, like I, you know, I got, got a little backpack that I could have with her, you know, that could also be a shoulder bag, but no, I didn't even put her like on my roll break. I just kept her under my arm. I was like, this is, you know, and just so I could feel her and know that she's there, and, you know, oh my God, I was never been so aware of my surroundings in an airport. Like, don't you dare come close. Like, oh, it was crazy, but she did fantastic. Um, we did take an Uber from <laughs> to the airport and I made my friend come with me and she was great through the, um, through security, you know, just holding her. I was like, oh my God. Um, and then she really enjoyed the lounge. She did not care about Paris. Um, she turned around in her case. She's like, I'm done with this. Shit. Um, <laughs> she, um, she's super calm. Like I'm very fortunate cause she's 10 years old and she's like a super chill cat. Um, and so she basically did not freak out except a couple times on the flight. Um, you know, she was kind of looking at me, starting me out and all she wanted me to do was look at her and then she was okay. So it was super interesting. It's not quite, it was sort of the longest 12 hours cause I wasn't able to really tune out with movies, whatever. I spent most of the time with her on my lap, but in her cage and just unzipped a little bit and just touching her. And my God, that was the coolest flight flying with your animal, like on your, in, on the plane. That's cool. Like, you know, not like from a cool perspective, but just from a comfort perspective. Like it was neat. Like I was of course anxious, but trying to be calm because then she'd be calm, whatever. And I had this lovely German man next to her, next to me who was like, maybe she wants food or water. I was like, um, do you have an animal on the plane? Like step off. Because um, <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing is that um, when you fly with animals, they actually do not recommend that you sedate them, um, especially if they're checked. Because um, if anything happens like they, you know, with their respiratory issues, like there's no one there to check, right? Um, also on the plane, like there's nobody there if something happened to her. Um, animals can go 24 hours without um, food or water, so she was okay. If you do give them food, they'll, you know, poo or pee, whatever. Um, and she's just, she's a freaking rock star, like very much controls her bowels and everything. So she was fine. Um, you know, just obviously like what is going on? There was one part in the middle of the night somewhere over Russia or whatever that she like decided to pop her head out and was like, it's okay, but no, no, we're all good, we're all good. Like, put her in, zip it up a little bit, but keep my hand in, right? So it was great. As soon as we got to um, Japan, going through customs, like the, the best thing was that the person who helped me with my paperwork here, she had already pre-submitted all of my like customs importation paperwork to the quarantine office in advance. Um, Cause that is something that is beneficial about Japan is Japan is a 24 seven, even for like government offices and stuff like that. So like I submitted it on a Saturday, you know, we landed on Monday and they'd already like received it and printed it and whatever. So going through quarantine, like she was checked, we were out in like 20 minutes and I was like, wow, never been so easy in my life. Um, plus it's really fun to have animals. So then we got through and got into a taxi and arrived back in my apartment and um, Japan is very much like an animal friendly place. So taxi driver loved that I had a cat with me. It was cool. And then she was super chill. She was, of course, like, what the heck was going on when she arrived and waited another couple hours before she used the litter box or ate anything. It was funny. So, yeah, she's she's a great liar. Nervous, of course, but she doesn't, like, freak out, which is good. That's very good. And so that must have been your most precious cargo you've shipped or most precious bag you've had whilst traveling. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. And it was just, uh And it's so funny because nobody notices. Like, that's the other part that was super interesting because I'm hyper aware, right? But then... um as uh you know i'm going through it's mainly children would notice because of course you know the cat under my arm is eye level of kids and then they would see it and get very excited adults just kind of like if they do notice they don't engage right but children are like oh my god hey you know but it's also like the the distance of the eye contact right it was cool didn't was sleep cool. at all on that flight but it was good <laughs> <laughs> 
Very good. So where can people see pictures of your cat? Mm, okay, so she's um, probably at the moment through my Instagram. She has her own Instagram, but I have, but she's, you know, needs a brand manager for that. Um, so probably Instagram, which um, I'm Cheeky Lamiki, so C-H-E-E-K-Y-L-A-M-I-K-I. -I -I. Um, she does have her own hash hashtag, I'm sorry, which is Swisskerlams, um, which is her nickname for coming to Sw Switzerland. So S-W-I-T-Z-E-R, Swisker. Ah, okay, let's, let's rephrase that. <laughs> Swiss, S-W-I-S-S-K-E-R-L-A-M-S. Very good. Um, so if you'd like to stalk her on um, Instagram, you can do that there. She's gorgeous. She's a Siamese mix and has beautiful blue eyes and knows how to post ish. Yes, she's, she's a very, very nice uh, cat and seems to be very chilled. There we go. Um, so oh, this is an example from uh, Laura's Instagram, little little cat. So Cheeky Lamiki on Instagram. We'll have the links to that on Tech Travel Geeks and in the podcast description and YouTube uh, video description. Uh, mm -hmm. Where can people follow, follow you, Laura? Um, Instagram is probably the most publicly active that I'm at. I also have Twitter, but I go on and off on. Um, so Twitter is I'm at Lamiki, L-A-M-I-K-I. Um, I've got a band and blog, so it's not wor worth talking about. <laughs> so but, pretty much I'd say Twitter and Instagram. Very good. And and you are you are the social person, so Twitter and Instagram are definitely the both places to, to follow you. Yes, definitely. Thank, thank you very much for being on the Tech Travel Geeks podcast. It's been great having you on and having all these insights in Japan and traveling in Japan. Definitely now reprioritize Japan 2019 for me. How about you, Lukash? Yeah, I'm definitely, definitely adding Japan to my next year, I'm sure. Okay. Well, we have the 2019 Rugby World Cup, which is a bit of a dress rehearsal for the 2020 Olympics, uh, and, and yet another reason to, to go to Japan in 2019. So One of the, one of the things to interrupt your um, ending is that, um, kind of similar to with the um, trains, um, systems, as far as everything running on schedule, it is one of the most organized countries in the world. Um, and things just happen very flawlessly, super safe, super clean. Speaking of technology, the toilets are amazing. Just heated seats, that's that's the beginning of that. Um, so it's, it's definitely a, I mean, if you go, if you do make it for the rugby competition, you'll just, um, the it will be one of the most organized experiences that you'll probably have a hard time going to anywhere like in Europe, for example, um, with big ass festivals. Yeah, it'll, it's worth going. Very good. Um, so, net promoter score of Japan from Laura is very high. Very high. <laughs> very good. So, uh, I think we'd better wrap up at this point. You can, uh, as we mentioned, follow Laura on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow Tech Travel Geeks on Twitter and Instagram. The user is at Tech Travel Geeks. And you can also subscribe to us uh, on YouTube, Tech Travel Geeks and subscribe to this podcast on all the good places you get podcasts from, such as Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, and now Stitcher as well. So uh, thanks for watching, everyone. Thank you again, Laura, for being a guest on the Tech Travel Geeks podcast. And thanks, Thank Lukash, for keeping us droning on. <laughs> Thank you, guys, for the invitation. This was a lot of fun. Excellent. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.